the House and Senate are still scheduled to be in recess until May 4th. It is still the case that the District of Columbia is under a shutdown order until May 15th. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see the May 4th date slip. First, to Social Security. While all this coronavirus stuff is going on, the trustees of the Social Security and Medicare Trust Funds released their annual report last week. They projected that for the first time in 40 years, Social Security will pay benefits that exceeds its income in 2021. The good news is that's one year later than previously projected. The bad news is the trustees acknowledged that the projection does not take into account the potential effects of the coronavirus crisis, which is likely to cause Social Security and Medicare spending to increase even as it reduces revenue flow into the two systems. The trustees did the same thing on the longer-term projection for Social Security. In this year's report, they project that the system will exhaust its reserves by 2035. That is the same as they projected in last year's report, but again, they failed to adjust for the effects of the coronavirus crisis. According to the report, if no changes are made in the Social Security system, then beginning in 2035, the programs would only be able to pay 79% of currently scheduled benefits. Meanwhile, a new study from the Bipartisan Policy Center, a center-left think tank that gets a lot of attention from Democrats, suggests that the economic impact of the coronavirus crisis could deplete the Social Security Trust Fund by 2028. Now to the coronavirus response, week seven. Congress passed its fourth coronavirus response bill, which for some reason is being tagged as the third and a half bill. It's an emergency spending bill that will appropriate $484 billion for various aspects of relief broken down as follows. $310 billion to replenish the Small Business Association Administration's Paycheck Protection Program. $60 billion for the Emergency Injury Disaster Loan Program. That's another SBA loan program for small businesses. $75 billion for hospitals and community health centers. And $25 billion to fund COVID-19 testing. But Democrats did not get everything they wanted. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell drew a line in the sand over more funding for state and local governments, and he won this round. He may not win that fight on the next round, because both President Trump and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin have made clear that they will support more funding for state and local government bailouts in the next funding bill. But at least McConnell won this round. What's happening, of course, is that governors around the country, and particular particularly in those blue states that have a history of profligate spending, are seeing that the federal trough is open in a way no one has ever seen. So they are putting their snouts in the trough as deeply as they can. State governments that have been spending wildly for decades now see the opportunity to make themselves whole again, and they are going at it with gusto. Of course, that's wrong. There's no reason in the world that a taxpayer in Utah should be required to send tax dollars to Illinois to bail out the Illinois government from the consequences of its own misdeeds. But that's what the Democrats are after, and we're going to have a fight on our hands a few weeks from now when that next bill comes up. Meanwhile, while Congress was stealing another half trillion dollars from future generations, grassroots activists around the country stepped up and protested their state's shelter-in-place orders. In Virginia, Michigan, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and California, among others, protests were planned, organized, and carried out, letting our fellow citizens know that not everyone believes this virus is as lethal as we've been told, and not everyone believes we need to shut down the economy to save our vulnerable populations. 
On the research front, a new study from Stanford University researchers seems to indicate that a far higher percentage of the population has been exposed to and contracted the virus than previously thought, perhaps by a factor of as much as 50 to 85 times. That is, there may actually be 85 times as many people who have contracted the disease as we previously thought. And that, by the way, would not be a bad thing. It would be a good thing because it would mean the lethality rate is much lower than we had been led to believe. In fact, if those numbers are accurate, that would mean COVID-19 is about as lethal as the common influenza. On the personnel front, Politico reports that White House staffers are considering replacing current Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. On the short list to replace him are Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services Administrator Seema Verma, Coronavirus Response Coordinator Dr. Deborah Burks, and Deputy HHS Secretary Eric Hargan. Azar has reportedly been under fire in senior administration councils for some time, but what may end up being the straw that broke the camel's back is the ouster last week of vaccine expert Rick Bright. Bright was serving the Trump administration at HHS as the director of the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority until a few days ago when he was transferred to a role at the National Institutes of Health. To make a long story short, Bright was not happy with the move, which had been in the works for more than a year. But Azar had told Vice President Pence and other members of the administration that the personnel move was handled smoothly and Bright's move was actually a promotion. That narrative was blown out of the water when Bright filed a whistleblower complaint. Stay tuned. On to 2020 Democrats, and that would mean Joe Biden. The story of Tara Reid, a former staffer for then-Senator Joe Biden, just won't go away. Reid accused the former vice president of sexual assault several weeks ago, and the mainstream media has been slow to pick up and report on it, despite her story having more evidence behind it than some of the charges made against Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh during his confirmation hearings. Last week, it was revealed that Ms. Reed's mother, who Ms. Reed claims to have told at the time of the alleged assault, called into Larry King's television show on CNN on August 11, 1993, and asked King and his guests the following, quote, I'm wondering what a staffer would do besides go to the press in Washington. My daughter has just left there after working for a prominent senator and could not get through with her problems at all. And the only thing she could have done was to go to the press, and she chose not to do it out of respect for him. King responded, quote, in other words, she had a story to tell, but out of respect for the person she worked for, she didn't tell it. And Reed's mother replied, that's true. There will be more to come on this story. And that's our Washington Report for this week.